Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do or do not. There is no Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Dan Watkins, Andy Chandler, Peter Johnson, John Motherfucking Farmer. <laughs> and I'm Hazel Burton. On our show today, we've got our film buff or film bluff quiz. We've got a debate on modern movie trailers. And we've got another visit from Ian Mayer, who's stuck in the void for, has it two years now? Two years. Bless him. I've been trying to poke him out, but... (laughs) He'll be giving us his latest thoughts on John Wick. So, let's start the show. How's everyone been since the last episode? Yeah, very good. Uh, I had a small sip of beer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, Rearranged my testicles in my jeans so they were <laughs> chafing less. <laughs> oh dear. Good times. That's about passive for entertainment now. Uh, there's a very good uh, viral clip going around at the moment where. Um, John. <laughs> John. Um, someone's being filmed for a panel show or something and he sits down. <laughs> It's on his own knackers, presumably. <laughs> it's not funny, Hazel. <laughs> it's a problem men have. He crosses his legs and it's like... <laughs> the look of shock in his, his eyes is just amazing. Anyway, sorry. Sadist. <laughs> um, Don't even mention zips. Oh, there's something about Mary that's scarred people for life. He probably was scarred for life. Yeah. All right. So this is our film buff or film bluff quiz. In this one, we've got three pieces of entertainment trivia, but we have been dastardly enough to make one of them up. And it's our job to try and work out which is the bluff. John, do you fancy going first? This month, I believe Disney Plus launches in the United States. And Disney released a full list of all 600 things that are on the service. Lots of great films in there, lots of classics, um, Aladdin, Snow White, etc, etc. Also a load of shit. Yes, back in the day, Disney made a lot of terrible live-action movies. So here are three live-action Disney movies from the 70s, 80s, going into the early 90s. Two of which are real, one of which I have completely made up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Number one, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Darby O'Gill, an aged groundskeeper, is, with the help of young Sean Connery, trapped in a battle of wits with the King of the Leprechauns, who owes him three wishes and doesn't want to pay up. Okay, <laughs> yep. Number two, the Barefoot Executive. A young Kurt Russell is an ambitious mailroom clerk at a second-rate TV network who discovers his girlfriend's lovable pet chimp can pick a hit show every time. <laughs> the, the chimp <laughs> becomes the vice president of the TV network and chaos ensues. <laughs> Finally, guess who's nuts? <laughs> a young Paul Rudd's best friend is Angus, a talking squirrel who only he can see. No one believes in Angus. But when the town's annual Acorn Festival is under threat, only Angus can save the day. I'm 95% certain I don't know which one's a, a young Paul Rudd. A young, so just Paul yeah. Rudd. 
Yeah, yeah he's just eternally, <laughs> eternally young. young. I think it might be his first... Halloween 4 was one of his first roles, so I think it predates Halloween 4. Yeah, yeah. Clueless, I think it was like uh-huh. 95. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the first one I'm pretty sure exists, because I've, I've heard, heard of that, of that one. one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of famously Sean Connery being the least Bond-like it's possible to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, second one could be John trying to fool us, because it sounds very similar to a Simpsons gag where they go to a drive-in cinema and watch Commander in Chimp. <laughs> <laughs> and it could it could be that, but I feel like that would have been given a more puntastic name if it was the bluff. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Guess who's nuts. <laughs> Guess who's nuts. Whereas contestant number three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's who's, as in W-H-O-S-E. So who is nuts, but also who's nuts are they? Because yeah. of the Acorn Festival. But that oh, does that's sound, clever. Yeah, that does sound quite Disney around the time of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids yeah. kind of thing they'd be going for. Does it? <laughs> I think I've heard of the chimpanzee one, but I may be insane, so I mm-hmm. trust me. Mm. Yeah, you might be thinking of Bedtime for Bonzo, the Ronald Reagan chimp film. Yeah, that doesn't involve <gasps> oh, TV yeah. executives. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Dunstan checks in where yeah. an orangutan runs a hotel. Or Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Very similar, I think. I well, the thing that. is, I mean, watch Planet of the Apes, and in none of the Planet of the Apes films do you see a TV or a chimp operating a TV. Which, so, if it was a real Planet of the Apes, they would naturally be very good at, as we've... Because they, they, they can pick a hit every time, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm going to decide the third one is the bluff. You think, I guess, Who's Nuts is not I a do. real Disney film? Agreed. Thirded. Uh, no, I'm going to go for the chimp. Oh, I'm afraid, Hazel, you're wrong. Uh. <laughs> Paul Rudd did not star in Guess Who's Nuts with his invisible talking swivel friend. Yeah. Maybe he will one day. <laughs> Maybe one, he will. One of those terrible Disney live-action films I will recommend. Um, it's a 1979 one called Unidentified Flying Oddball. And uh, that's because it was largely filmed at Annick Castle in ah. Northumberland. Uh, Dennis Dugan, who later went on to be the director of such Adam Sandler classics as Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2. Um, I hope there was air quotes around that classics. <laughs> uh, you may assume. Dennis Dugan is an astronaut who goes on an experimental mission and goes through some kind of quantum time paradox thing and ends up with spaceship and spacesuit in the court of King Arthur in Camelot. And there's a talking goose and there's a knight of the round table who only speaks in Winston Churchill quotes and John Le Miserie is in it for some reason and there are sorcerers and he gets burned at the stake but he's wearing a spacesuit so it doesn't affect him and it is utterly ridiculous. Was this in a drugs decade? <laughs> it was the 70s so mm-hmm. maybe. I think it was supposed to be an update of a Connecticut Yankee yeah, King Arthur's yeah. Court. Um, it's not Disney's best, but I hope it finds a wonderful new worldwide audience on the mm-hmm. streaming platform. Isn't there one called A Spaceman in King's Arthur's Court? That is the same film. That's the UK title. Oh, okay. That's why. They called it Unidentified yeah. Flying Oddball in America, oh, okay. but they call it The Spaceman and King Arthur over here. And that's my useless Disney trivia fact <laughs> for the day. I would like everybody to watch The Barefoot Executive in America on a loop as the streaming platform crashes to make up for the fact <laughs> that we won't get The Mandalorian for another six months after it launches in America. Six what? months? What? It's going to be spring 2020 before we get it over here. Yeah, there's a thing called the internet. Yes, you must show me how to use it yes. sometime, winking over at Don't John. Don't ask John how to use the internet, because all you'll see is porn. <laughs> <laughs> I was... I, uh, my, um... What, there's other things on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> Not on my internet. There's a guy who sits down and crosses his legs and stands on his nuts. <laughs> I mean, nuts? you didn't wank off to that? <laughs> <laughs> Just me. <laughs> wow. 
17 hours in a loop. Oh. <laughs> right. Dan, do you have a buff or bluff for it? I do. I recently read that up until the filming of It's a Wonderful Life in the 1940s, snow was created on film sets by painting cornflakes white. And this was the fake snow effect of choice until the director of It's a Wonderful Life decided it made far too much noise when the actors walked on it (laughs) and they changed it. So that sent me down a rabbit hole of other special effects that use food. Do you know know what the snow was in um, Wizard of Oz? Uh, no. Asbestos. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, number one is actually about the Wizard of Oz. The purple horse in the Wizard of Oz in Emerald City was painted using jelly. That's British jelly, American jello. Uh, number two, the sewer tunnel in the Shawshank Redemption was not filled with real poop. It was filled with old stale fruitcake. <laughs> and number three... The stabbing sounds in the psycho shower scene were created by plunging a knife into a melon. That's the go-to knife stabbing. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I know that inside out, that film. And I don't specifically recall that being a watermelon or a melon, but that's the usual stabby noise mm. would be a knife into a melon. Another blood was chocolate sauce. Mm-hmm. So it, it might be, white, it might be an elaborate bluff. It might be like, well, there is food involved, but not in the way that I've said. Yeah. I know that they used a, a melon for when Saruman gets stabbed in uh, Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lee told Peter Jackson how to do it because it's like there's so many movies where like uh, people get like scream when they get stabbed. And it's like, that's not what happens because he was in like World War Two. And what happens is they just have this intake of breath like uh, mm-hmm. rather than go, oh, they can't they physically can't do that. And that's a side mm-hmm. note. But um yeah, I think I think I, I think that's true. The melon thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How the hell could you paint a horse with jelly? That's madness. You just have to make sure it doesn't set. It would drip off. It was food colouring, I think. It was something. Mm-hmm. It was something unusual. Because the same article where I read about this, basically, everybody that worked on The Wizard of Oz should have been drummed out of the industry because it was a, <laughs> a cruel, cruel film. But so pretty. <laughs> or was it a real horse or a statue, did you say? It was a real horse. Mm. Oh, well, in that case, jelly. Yeah, it makes sense mm. to me. Yeah, of course, yeah. The Shawshank Redemption, I don't know that fact to be true. A fruitcake would make a good substitute for shit. But mm-hmm. I have a feeling um, it was something really bad because I think Tim Robbins couldn't bear it. When he was like crawling through it, he, he really stank. I don't think stale fruitcake has that much of a stink, so I don't mm. know. That would be my indication. Could be powdered jelly. Well, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not suggesting like the, they just attacked a horse with a big wobbly jelly until it looked the right <laughs> colour. <laughs> what a giant John Krasinski is coming! Yeah, <laughs> um, I think I'd, I'm, I'm going to go for fruitcake being a lie. Yeah, me too. I'm going for a jelly horse. I'm going to go jelly horse. John and Hazel are correct. Woo-hoo. They weren't allowed to use dye on the horses, so they used the powder for grape jello. Uh, but the problem they found was that the horses discovered this and found themselves delicious and they kept licking it off. It's <laughs> um, adorable. <laughs> yeah. The stabbing sounds in Psycho were created with a melon and, as you say, chocolate syrup was used for the blood. But fruitcake was not used for the river of shit that Andy Dufresne crawls through. That was also chocolate syrup mixed with sawdust. 
However, fruitcake was used for poop in the Citadel scenes in Game of Thrones, where Sam is having to clean out all the bedpans. Uh, they used stale <laughs> fruitcake uh, for the turds. Oh, that was disgusting. Um, so, the fascinating world of film food. Wow. <laughs> Who wants fruitcake? Uh. <laughs> I, like I would crawl through a of shit for a nice <laughs> slice of fruitcake. Andy? Um, I'm going to describe for you three films, two of which are currently on the Sci-Fi Channel schedule. <laughs> one I have made up. <laughs> Number one, Inhuman Pyramid. Time-traveling zombie Nazi super soldiers appear in the year 2012 and attack a high school gymnasium where a team of cheerleaders is practicing. The plucky teens defend themselves with booby traps rigged from sporting equipment and in the end vanquish the evil invaders in a deadly game of dodgeball. <laughs> Number two. Nightmare Shark. Jaws meets a nightmare on Elm Street. As a group of shark oh, hard. God. A group of shark attack survivors are hunted by a supernatural shark that haunts their dreams. The group convene at a woodland retreat where a scientist tries to cure them of their psychological torment. But is he hiding a dark secret? Please be real. Please be real. Please be real. <laughs> Number three. Zombie tidal wave. A fisherman fights to defend his small coastal town from an underwater zombie horde delivered to land via tsunami. The lead character is named Hunter Shaw and kills the undead with an electric sword and a motorboat engine. <laughs> an electric Ooh. sword? A sword with electricity coming off it and that. Yeah, because that's a really good thing to stick in water, isn't it? A big <laughs> stick of electric. He's a fisherman, not a scientist, <laughs> damn it. Uh, speaking of water, I have seen a sci-fi film called Ghost Shark. Yes, the trailer. Oh, that must be. Yeah, I was thinking of yeah, where the shark is able to travel anywhere where there is a body of water. <laughs> so it comes through hose pipes and bath taps and Toilets. things like that. And that sounds very similar. But that kind of makes me think it's true because there are so many mm -hmm. crap sci-fi shark films. Oh, oh yeah, the sci-fi like, channel like, is seventy percent shark films. Yeah, they're like tsunami and water and tornadoes. Every and week is shark week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they have they have three-headed shark, they have five-headed shark, they have six-headed shark, they mm. have atomic shark, they have sand sharks. Yeah, it's all sharks. Have you ever seen a film called Zombie Flesh Eaters? I have heard the name. A zombie fights a shark, and you think this is going to be so cool, but it's obviously like a little tiny shark that they've got on a guy in the worst zombie makeup, just punching this poor shark in the face about five minutes. It's brilliant. <laughs> Are you sure it's brilliant? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, all right then. Um, Inhuman Pyramid. Mm. Mm. That's my inclination for That's my inclination to, towards falsehood. If Nightmare Shark isn't real, I'm going out and making it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go for Inhuman Pyramid being mm. not real. I, I think the tsunami one you might have made up because you like destruction and you like electric swords, I've decided. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with... Tsunami, electric shark, sword, zombie <laughs> film. The, number three. I'm going for number two, Nightmare Shark, just <sighs> because he... I know it sounds plausible, but that, that's, that's what I think the trick is. Mm -hmm. Nightmare Shark is real. Yes! 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 <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you guys, I want to watch Nightmare Shark. <laughs> <laughs> the one I made up was Inhuman Pyramid. Oh. <laughs> I sorry. would see that film. You should pitch it. So we'll expect a review of Nightmare Shark yes. on the next episode. <laughs> right, Peter? Yeah, mine are on the Terminator. 
Mm. Ah, my specialist subject. Okay, we shall see. These are all based on the first Terminator movie. For the first fact, Michael Bean and Arnold Schwarzenegger only appear in the same frame together once. Mm-hmm. In Russian, the movie was retitled He Will Kill You Yesterday. <laughs> and for the third one, in the first Terminator movie, Sarah Connor is only 18. The, the actress or the character? Is Sarah Connor the name of an actress? Yes. <laughs> in that case yes John <laughs> yeah I don't know I, that Russian I, title is good I like that Russian title I like that I want to believe that oh those Russians I can give you background information on any of those if you like yeah yes please well ask a question I'll give you the information I th- I was think... Sarah Connor 18 at the time of the Terminator <laughs> yeah does Michael Bean and the Terminator only appear in the same frame in one, one shot is it one shot do you just do exactly the same joke down did yes <laughs> but a different yeah. So one frame, one one twenty fourth of a second. No, uh, as in the same. Let's say the same scene, but there's not many shots. Could okay. you tell us which scene it was? I can. It was in Technoir, the nightclub. So they're in scenes together, obviously, but they're not on camera at the same time. How did he get killed? He gets crushed in the uh, the hydraulic press. No, so Michael Bean, not the Terminator. Oh, he's, he's been shot, but it's in the factory at the end. Uh, he puts a, a pipe bomb in the uh, the Terminator's ribcage. Yeah. It explodes, blows him in half, but, but Michael Bean's dead. So can I be pedantic then? You're saying Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. and Michael Bean are all mm-hmm. in the same scene. So that wouldn't count because at, by that point it's a special effect and not Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's correct. Yes. If, th- if that is the case. Yeah. I think I can think of a scene in which they, another scene in which they do appear together. I think they're playing scenes together. I don't think they're in the same shots together. I think the bit where Schwarzenegger um, jumps onto the bonnet of the car and punches through the window, I think you can see Michael Bean through the, uh, the windshield. Mm-hmm. Not stunt arm? Um, there, there would have been a real shot of Annie at some point. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the bluff then. I was going to go for that being the bluff, but that they don't ever appear in the same shot in the film. That would be a good fact. Reminders of the other two. In Russian, the movie was retitled He Will Kill You Yesterday. Okay, want that to be true. And so, the, the reason yeah. for that is that the closest thing to Terminate is actually someone who finishes a garment, as in someone who finishes the <laughs> thing when you translate it from Russian. So it's not threatening. I like that one. And the third one was that Sarah Connor's only 18. I yes. think I've heard that. Yeah, I believe yeah. that. Pretty sure she was a teenager when she had her. Because she was working as a waitress. In a cocktail uh, bar. When I met you. <laughs> Um, yeah, Michael Bean was actually 27 when the first film was filmed. Dirty old man. So John Connor is a teenager in Terminator 2, which would put Sarah Connor somewhere in her mid-30s, if yeah. that's right. And then it's been another 30-odd years at the time of Dark Fate coming out, which would put her at around 60. So <laughs> that, that seems plausible. If Terminator is set in the present day, then... Terminator 2 must be set slightly in the future. So Terminator came out in 84 and Terminator 2 in 92. And John Connor is older than he would have been. And Judgment Day would have been 97. So Terminator must have been 81 when it was set. No, but it says Los Angeles in 1984 in the thing. So the the age of John Connor doesn't add up for the films, does it? It's almost like they didn't quite have a handle on all the laws of their time travel. I've never (laughs) never thought that before, but I'll I'll double check that. But it seems to be... Unless he's only supposed to be like 11. It would make him be 7, wouldn't he? In theory, in Terminator 2, John Connor is 10. Really? Oh. 
And it comes across as older. I thought he was maybe 11 or 12. Which means like he's 15, 16 when Judgment Day happens. What about Genesis, though? Uh, Doesn't exist. No one cares. (laughs) Genesis. Genesis. I'm going to go for the only appearing in one shot together being a bluff. Yeah, me too. Sarah Connor. Yeah, I think the, the, the first one. Okay. Uh, you're all wrong. Oh. Is it Russia? <laughs> it is Russia. I made up the title. <laughs> Do you make up the thing about the Terminator being a... Uh... Uh, sort of. In, in Polish, it was renamed as the Electronic Murderer. Mm. Because a Terminator mm. is roughly an apprentice <laughs> in mm-hmm. Polish. I love that name so much. <laughs> <laughs> in Terminator 2, Sarah Connor is 29, John Connor is 10. Michael Bean was actually 27 when he played Kyle Reese, but the character is supposed to be 21. So there's 11 years in the timeline between Terminator and Terminator, or 12 years. Mm-hmm. Hazel, what's yours? I have a follow-up to my movie costumes before Bluff that I did a few weeks ago. Number one, after shooting wrapped on Batman Returns, Michelle Pfeiffer insisted that the Catwoman costume be destroyed because she couldn't stand the idea of it falling into the clutches of a pervert fan. I have it in my office. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You have it under your clothes. <laughs> The main characters in The Matrix all wear black leather coats, right? Mm-hmm. Wrong. Neo wears a wool blend, Trinity wears PVC, and Morpheus wears faux alligator skin. No leather at all. Hmm. And number three. You, you, have you been on a leather fetish site to get these questions? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, number three. The cowardly lion costume from The Wizard of Oz... Sold at auction in 2014 for three million dollars. What? I do remember it being auctioned. Yeah, relatively recently. And it was a real lion skin as well. Yeah, oddly enough. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Would you be allowed to sell a real lion skin? Yeah, it was made from real lion fur and weighed ninety pounds. Yeah. Hmm. I th- I'm not sure the skin part was skin, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Though it may have had a real lion mane. It was certainly part real lion, and they had to apparently stank at the end of every day because it was so hot. Yeah, another another guy who must have had a great time on that uh, film. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the Wachowski sisters are they vegetarian or vegan or animal rights involved? Ah. Which could suggest why mm-hmm. everyone's wearing leather substitutes. I've heard that. That seems logical mm-hmm. yeah. that they might request that. No actual leather be used Except on that set. Except for alligators, who obviously get what's coming to oh, them. Fake alligators. So, yeah. yeah, Hazel skin. said fake alligator oh, right, skin, okay. so that would work. But it's the Matrix thing. It's leather and sunglasses. Mm-hmm. We all just imagined that. Well, if you shoot it right, it'll... You can't in, make in this, wool look the, like leather. In the I, sequels, I, it was I, all CGI anyway. I wore a leather coat for a couple of years because I thought I wanted to. I thought I looked like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. I did not look like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. <laughs> well, that's where you went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Should have worn a wool blend. Yes. Yeah. And what was the other one? So, uh, in Batman Returns, Michelle Pfeiffer refusing, uh, well, wanting the Catwoman costume to be destroyed, so that it didn't. End I'm going to pick that one. I've I've seen it somewhere. In your office. Yes. In your mind. Mm-hmm. Have you seen who's playing Catwoman in the new Batman film? Yes. Yeah. Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Just, you know, just putting Zoe Kravitz in that outfit out there for you all to think about. Second, <laughs> second time she's played Catwoman. Because oh. she voiced her in the Lego Batman movie. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. Yes. 
Anyway, I am also going to go with Catwoman because ah. I am also sure I've seen that costume mm. on display. Have you somewhere. seen a replica of it though? Oh, well, I, I'm guessing they'll, I. Have, they'll have made multiples, won't they? There'll be more than one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although she famously was unable to get out of it, so maybe they just needed. That's why the one she's also she's also in, in my office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's still wearing it to this day. She wanted Quite it possibly. destroyed for several reasons. I'm guessing one of them she didn't want it to end up with a pervert fan, and the other one it was so uncomfortable to wear. Yeah, and so the original one has been destroyed. So what you must have seen is a a re if unless you're bluffing, bluffing. unless mm-hmm. I'm bluffing, yeah. I'm going to go with Catwoman costume. I think Michelle Pfeiffer feels quite proud of that role, and I think she would have wanted it kept. Is that not despite the costume? Maybe, I don't know. Mm. Regardless, Catwoman. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Cowardly Lion costume would sell for $3 million. It's maybe $100,000 or something, but $3 million is a ridiculous amount. I'd pick the uh, Catwoman costume. The three Catwomans and a lion. Is it a no sex tape? (laughs) 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 All right. The bluff is Catwoman. Hey. It does, yeah. It's in a it's in a museum. I'm not sure where it is, but it's in a museum. And um, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer described it as the most uncomfortable thing she's ever worn in her life. She had to be vacuum sealed into it. Mm. I'm so, I've put, put somewhere, Ian is out of earshot, but he's about to explode <laughs> with all the double entendres he would have come up with had he been be sat here. It's just it's just sat in so just going. Just going. Why are you doing that? I don't know. I can sense something. <laughs> a disturbance. Yeah. So new Arpats Batman has got Catwoman and the Riddler confirmed. Yes. Paul, Paul, Paul Dano. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Rumoured for Jonah Hill to play the Penguin. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's was, out of talks now. There was yeah. some discussion though as to whether he was going to actually be playing the Riddler. Yeah. Rather than the Penguin. He's lost weight now. He's not really in Penguin shape. Yeah. I mean, if I was him... I would be a bit offended that everyone just assumed I was playing the Penguin. <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh, in, in primary school, uh, we did a production of Bugsy Malone. And, I thought uh, you were going to say a production of Batman Returns, though. <laughs> <laughs> that I would want to see. There's uh, a character in that called Fat Sam, and the uh, sensitive and thoughtful teachers that were casting the play asked the uh, most heavyset boy in the class to play Fat <laughs> Sam just because he was Fat. of the build for the character. And he, of course, was offended and said no. So they cast a boy called Sam instead. <laughs> Imaginative. Uh, guess who was similarly cast in a school production of Bugsy Malone? It was me. I also said no because I was also offended. Okay, are we Fat Sam or? Um, I was Leroy. Oh, the boxer. Was he the one you used to block yeah. up? I hope not. I, I said I said no because I watched the film and uh, yeah, was not particularly impressed that I was comparable in stature, let's say, <laughs> to that character. So I said but no. Speaking of kids' productions, have you seen the video of a kids' production of Alien? Yes, Gone yeah. really turned up. Yeah, yeah. Our school productions were not at that level. <laughs> I was Artiban the Fourth Wise Man. I had three songs enjoy the course of rehearsal. Uh, those songs were one by one given to other <laughs> members of the cast. What was your gift as the fourth wise Not man? the gift of Can't song, I was, all, I was always late. That was my thing. So you would have the Fibs and the Civic scene. Everyone would walk off and I'd run on and go, oh, where is everybody? Oh, I'm late again. And I remember having some brown makeup applied to my face. It was like, this was the <laughs> early to mid-80s. It was a bit too late for us not to have known better. <laughs> What I'm saying is, can I, please, can I be the Prime Minister of Canada? 
Hello, nerds. Now, I'm a big fan of John Wick, and having consumed all three films, I decided to see what other John Wick stuff there was out there. Turns out not so much. There's an action figure, a hot toy that would cost me 250 quid and a divorce if I ever bought it, and some Funko Pops. But barring that, the world of John Wick merch is pretty bare. No board games, no RPGs, nothing outside of one comics miniseries and a couple of computer games. So, ignoring the John Wick game mode in Fortnite, the two official John Wick games are a VR game, the John Wick Chronicles by Starbreeze Studios, and John Wick Hex, a strategy game by indie developer Bithel Games. Now, I'm not a VR gamer, so the only one I've been able to get hold of is John Wick Hex, which is available for PC and Mac on the Epic Store. This is a really smartly designed game. The key mechanic being that every action you perform takes an amount of time represented as a timeline on top of the screen. And if you see an enemy in motion or about to shoot you or punch you or whatever, you'll know exactly how long they're going to take before they can perform their actions. This means you can plan what you're doing accordingly. The result is a strategy game that feels very John Wickish. You're not invulnerable, you just understand the world better than the people you're fighting and you move through the space like a deadly chess piece. Now on its own this would make a great strategy game premise, but with the style and mythology of John Wick it turns it into a really really compelling game. So what's so special about John Wick? John Wick on its own is the Sistine Chapel of dog revenge movies. The trilogy has created a tone and aesthetic which defines as the sort of current crop of the action genre. It was created by writer Derek Kolstad, who wrote it as a spec script called Scorn. Now he's talked a lot about the influences he brought to the film and there's some you can really see within it. There's clearly a lot of John Woo there. He also mentions old French gangster movies like The Samurai. But for me, the most clear allusion is to John Borman's Point Blank. This movie starring Lee Marvin is from a 1967 novel, The Hunter by Richard Stark, and it's been adapted numerous times to screen. Now, this novel features a hitman taking revenge for a betrayal against him by a massive and secret crime organisation. It's stylish, it's colourful, it's brilliant, and it really is a kind of proto-John Wick. The director of John Wick, John Wick 2 and John Wick Parabellum is a guy called Chad Stilaski. Now, he comes from a martial arts and stunt coordination background. I love seeing stunt performers make films. They have a real attention to detail, which comes from decades of paying attention. If you get something wrong as a stunt coordinator, someone gets hurt. And I think you really see this focus in the direction of the film. Now, if IMDb is right, Stileski is directing and Colstead is writing episodes of Marvel's The Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV show, which tells you an awful lot about what this show is going to look like. But what I really love about John Wick is the mythology of it. Although it's a really deadly universe, it feels kind of like a nice place to be. Everything's fancy. If you're an assassin in the John Wick world, you don't just buy a gun, you visit a gun sommelier. You don't just put on a bulletproof vest, you're fitted for a tailored bulletproof evening suit. It's weirdly nice. It strikes me as a universe where you can get really good coffee. And if you pick up the rules of it, any antique shop is probably run by someone connected to the life. Everyone with a tattoo is an assassin or in an assassin-adjacent profession. This mythology runs really deep. Things like the gold coins being used as favours, the codes, the rules, the fact that land is consecrated. It gives everything a mythic quality. It's like Colstead wrote a script about vampires then fine replaced the word vampire with the word assassin. And everyone in the world just goes along with it. You never see a civilian freaking out as a blooded Keanu Reeves runs past them in a dinner jacket. Which brings me to the oddity of the pack, the John Wick comics. 
From Dynamite Comics, there's a single five-issue miniseries with a story by Colstead. This was written after John Wick 2, but before John Wick 3, and you can see some of the ideas that made it into 3 being sort of tried out here. We see a very different version of John's origin, and we start seeing the kind of globe-trotting John Wick he become. But we also see a very interesting idea which didn't make it into the films. John Wick faces an assassin who plays by no rules at all. So what's next for John Wick? Well, there's still no news on the announced TV show based on the Continental Hotel, but John Wick 4 has been announced for 2021, and a John Wick spin-off, The Ballerina, is also in development. And personally, I'm looking forward to a lot more versions of the world's favourite hipster assassin. Goodbye. So now is time for Debating Nerd. And the topic this time around is modern movie trailers. So what are the great modern trailers that we've seen? What are some bad examples? I think we can probably all agree on what a modern movie trailer should encapsulate, which would be to kind of strike a bit of a balance, set the tone, not give too much away, but not to be too vague and probably have a good soundtrack as well. Do we agree? Yes, but they seem to also have this job of getting clicks on YouTube as well and making mm-hmm, money for yes. advertising revenue, which may be part of why they all, uh, well, not all, but they commonly give away too much. Yeah, the, um, the I common... don't think that's so much for the advertising revenue of being played. I think it's just the more people who watch the trailer, the more people mm-hmm. are aware of the film. Yeah. Trailers for trailers annoy me now. Oh, yeah, the release of a trailer is a thing now. Yeah, they have a trailer saying the trailer's coming tomorrow, and then when you get the actual trailer, there's a clip of the trailer at the beginning of the trailer. Do you know why that is? Yeah. Because people only watch the first five, yeah, ten seconds the, on Facebook. the research, and I was at a work conference last week that used this research when talking about marketing. Uh, the average person's attention span while scrolling through their feed Sorry, on social media is, <laughs> exactly, is six seconds. So you have to have that bit at the start of the trailer of all the good bits in the first six seconds. So people scrolling down Twitter or Facebook will catch their attention and they'll Mm -hmm. watch the rest of it. Well, a trailer traditionally would probably, your first six seconds would just be the logo of the companies that were. Yeah. And if you do that on social, people Mm -hmm. will scroll past it and they won't watch it, which is a sad and terrible indictment on modern society and is ruining trailers. Um, But it's also true. Worst thing about the modern world, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so what are some examples of some, some really great trailers in, in recent times? The first Terminator Dark Fate trailer, which covered the Bjork song, mm. with the two cars going down the road. That was really good. I like a trailer like that. Yeah. I would say the first teaser for The Rise of Skywalker, which came out at Star yeah. Wars Celebration. Mm-hmm. Not because it was a particularly exciting or revolutionary trailer, It didn't have the same emotional heights for me as seeing the first trailers for The Force Awakens, for example. But after all of the horrible divisiveness about The Last Jedi online Mm -hmm. and Solo underperforming and people getting a little bit of Star Wars fatigue, they took time off, they didn't release anything about it, and that was the very first footage you'd seen in over a year. And it did the job of mm-hmm. getting me excited for the film. And before that trailer, I was looking forward to it, but I wasn't hyped for it. Mm. Yeah. 90 seconds later, with Ian McDermott's laugh as Palpatine, I was excited for that film. Mm-hmm. The trailer I've watched the most, probably, goes back a little bit further. It was The Two Towers. Oh, wow. And after school, every day, 
<laughs> I would go back home and I'd watch the trailer for The Two Towers for about three months. I was so excited that really for that film freaked coming me out. out. I don't know where's The Two Towers or where's The Fellowship of the Ring, but the music used of it was from the end of Requiem for a Dream. That's Two Towers, it's two that ta- one, which I hadn't seen at the age of 13. No, but it's, you know, once, you've seen, once, you, once, you've, <laughs> once you've seen that bit where that music comes from... Mm. And then you've got that weird trigger. That you think, I should be enjoying the two towers, but I'm just yeah. thinking of yeah. horrible things happening to people. Because yeah. that music for me is the Battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I remember Aragorn coming through, through the, the doors, through oh. the doors, soaking wet and just kind of stumbling through. I, 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 didn't, I don't think I watched it after school every day, no. but I, I definitely <laughs> yeah. watched it quite a few times. And those first lines that you hear from Andy Serkis as Gollum. Yes. Um, Andy Serkis' voices on trailers might be my thing actually because you mm-hmm. get the Trixie Hobbits as they stole it from us and we want it dramatic cut and then you've got him as Snoke in the Force Awakens trailer talking about there has been an awakening mm. mm-hmm. put Andy Circus in your trailer and you're onto a winner <laughs> I want to put in a shout for uh, Inception no like plot details are revealed in the trailer for uh, Inception but we kind of get a glimpse of the world so we get a spinning top that collapses we get a, a glass of water which starts to tilt even though it's still on a level table and then we get um two men fighting in a corridor which uh, starts to lose gravity and then we get a tagline your mind is the scene of the crime some of them certainly had the sort of folding city stuff was that also in the trailer because that's what i remember from the trailer i think mm. i do as well mm. It's unfortunately what happened in the Doctor Strange trailer, which um, we're coming on mm. to trailers, it didn't work. But um, that was mainly what Doctor Strange trailers did. It's the city folding in on itself. And it's mm. like, it's Inception. That's been done before. I don't think I'm going to go and see this film because, mm. you know, I, nothing new in it. Just bring up a question I have, which is, uh, when is it okay for a trailer to lie and deliberately mm. misrepresent what's going mm. to be in the movie? A.K. Yeah. Marvel. <laughs> yeah. But... I mean, there are noble reasons for doing that, like preserving a surprise. And and quite often, I think they'll edit two lines together to make a joke that doesn't exist and things mm. like that. They're, they're definitely doing that sort of thing. What you don't want is the trailer to spoil the movie. You just want it to yeah. get people to go to it, and but also feel they've not been misled. The reveals in trailers are my yeah. most hated thing. Because yeah. it's not often the filmmakers who are in control no. of the trailer, no. am I right? Yeah, it's the marketing people. Yeah, there have been quite a few arguments between filmmakers and mm. trailer makers over that. Actually, there is an exception to that, which is Suicide Squad, where, yeah. they, where the trailer makers ended up recutting, a the, better, first half yeah. of, well, <laughs> recutting the first half of the movie. But that, that's what we saw, was their yeah. attempt to make a better one, which it wasn't. Yeah, because the, the big one that sticks out for, for that kind of thing was the first trailer for Infinity War, mm. with the big money shot of the trailer of the heroes charging through the jungle in Wakanda never intended to be mm-hmm. part of the film as, as far Hulk as we could yeah. see as um, but you contrast that with say something like the rogue one trailers which i loved but there's so much footage in there that didn't end up in the mm-hmm. film not deliberately but because and i don't know the full story i'd love to read it one day the extensive reshoots on that meant yeah. a load of stuff that went into the trailers ended up not in the finished film mm-hmm. i don't think that was the case with infinity mm-hmm. war yeah but it's interesting where that line is on we think this is going to be in the film versus this definitely won't be and in the film. also sometimes in the early version of the trailer they're only able to use shots where the effect shots have been done mm-hmm. or where the shots have themselves been filmed they may yeah. not have finished mm-hmm. even not yeah. accounting for reshoots my view would be to to, to not lie at all in trailers like it, just leave it out if you don't try and misrepresent the film because I think that can leave you angrier. Mm-hmm. A recent example I can think of is Ad Astra. Mm-hmm. I went to see in the cinema 
And from the trailer, you are expecting an action flick very similar to Interstellar. Um, and the action is few and far between in the actual film. It's a very mm. melancholy, mm-hmm. um, you know, it really does ramp up the tension, but not a psychological film, isn't it? It's a psychological thriller. It's if you went in the film expecting an action film, you'd come out and say that was boring as hell. Um, so misrepresenting the tone of the film or misrepresenting who was in it. Yeah, I, I meant yeah. more, uh, more plot lines, especially mm-hmm. to hide a twist or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Don't give the twist away. Don't give the plot away. Mm-hmm. But, but what about almost misleading people to yeah, believe I don't, one I don't thing like that so that you all. can then reverse it? Like, for, mm-hmm. let's use an example, uh, Captain Marvel, for instance. Yeah. Uh, so you might want to hide how the scrolls, what their yeah. role is. Yeah. And deliberately choose stuff to put in the trailers that, if anything you know, make them feel more the bad guys than you might mm-hmm. have thought otherwise, just to make sure that idea was set in your head so that it was a surprise yeah. when it changed. I'm all right with that. Yeah. But um, to any excuse for a rant on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, <laughs> Go for but <laughs> that trailer relied so much on Jeff Goldblum mm-hmm. yeah. and it turned yeah. out that uh-huh. what you saw in the trailer was the entirety of of his role yeah. in the film. You got the whole thing in the trailer. That film was sold on him being back. And that's the kind of misrepresentation yeah, that no, I, I would that's disagree that's with. Mm-hmm. When you're good. hiding a plot thing, I'm kind of okay with it. Because even the Marvel stuff, it is within the tone and the world of the film. You might not be getting the exact shot that you see in the trailer, but something not unlike it is going to happen. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I hate to bring it up again, but did you see the Terminator Genesis trailer? Yep, yeah, John that, Connor. That revealed the John Connor twist. That was yes. idiot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that that was actually the example of one where the director and the trailer makers yeah. really had a huge falling out over that. Well, that's the one thing that film had up its sleeve, and then just has anyone so, seen um, the first Alien trailer in a while? It's no footage from the film in it, is there? It's just the egg and the light. Yeah, that yeah. kind of what it, well, mm. there is footage from the film so, and from it, but I'll go back and watch it because I think it sets the precedence for a modern movie trailer. So you get this um, very, very slow shot coming into focus of the title Alien and the, mm-hmm. and the wording, and then you get the egg, which then cracks. And then you've got lots of kind of like light fading in and out, showing various action pieces from the film, but there's never any dialogue. And then it goes, yeah, in space, no one can mm-hmm. hear you scream, and it's the perfect trailer. Yeah, I'm um, mm. thinking... Further back than that, trailers for the first Star Wars again give a whole lot away because, as you say, Peter, it's the effect shots that have been finished Mm -hmm. and they just had to use what they had from Industrial Light and Magic. And I think that style of trailer would never work now because Mm -hmm. you've got to have a little bit of intrigue. And one example that I can think of, which was a great trailer for a not-so-good film, is Gareth Edwards' Godzilla. Mm-hmm. There's a really cool trailer with the orchestral choral music and the pilots jumping out of the plane and all this red mm-hmm. sky. And the film was nothing like that. They pulled a similar trick to Jurassic World as well. I mm. thought I was going to see a film starring Brian Cranston. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Biggest problem I have with, with most modern movie trailers is that they have the sole goal of getting you to go see the film mm-hmm. and they're not interested <laughs> in, no, 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 that, that, that should be one of their goals yeah. but they should also give an accu- accurate representation or of, of what the film is going to be about or what the tone is 
and um, going back to, to when is it okay for trailers to lie when it's a small detail I don't mind it the Hulk thing doesn't bother me at all but what Dan and Hazel were saying um, before was rep- misrepresentation of the tone of the film yeah. I think mm. is yeah, a yeah. crime um, Ad Astra is a great example because um, uh, I, I went to see that expecting a psychological um, thriller because I read reviews about mm-hmm. it and I kept on complaining, as you know, um, that the trailers were, were making it seem like an action film. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen the new trailer for the um, next Robert Downey Jr. film, Doolittle, oh, <laughs> which yes. looks awful. And there's a lot to say about that. But they've tried to make it look like some sort of deep, meaningful fantasy epic with, with the, the slow pop song at the start. And uh, it, it, it can't be that kind of film because Robert Downey Jr. puts on a bizarre Welsh accent and speaks to polar bear John Cena in a woolly hat. I mean, <laughs> that's got to that be That in itself would film. sell the film to me. If they exactly. really played up polar bear John Cena in a... If he did the you can't see me thing with his big white paws. Fantastic. Yeah. That would be amazing. One important difference now on the way trailers are perceived by people compared to, say, 20 or 30 years ago, obviously, is now you can re-watch the trailer again and again and again in a way that in the past where you just had a blast of everything in the cinema was the only time you'd see it. Yeah. Then you really barely had time to register what you were seeing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas now people will watch have watched it again the, and again. Yeah. And First thing I apart. ever searched for on the internet was the Phantom Menace trailer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How naive. Do you want to know what the first, know. first thing no. I was? Um, what, I, what I would like to Did she destroy the suit? Yeah. Um, <laughs> speak, speaking of modern movie trailers, um, things have changed because you, if you listen to, say, radio comedy programs and they're making fun of film trailers, they always do the inner world. In a world. Mm. But that One guy man. is no longer alive. So they don't do voiceovers like that on trailers anymore. But that used to be such a big thing that it is the stereotype yeah. mm. for movie trailers. And no trailers do that. It's always music mm-hmm. that does that um, mm-hmm. similar kind of thing rather than coming this summer. Um, does anybody miss that? I miss the cliche where going, in a world where everything is destroyed, and then it'd be a comedy film. Like Adam Sandler would probably go, hey, it's me. And they'd be like, oh, I see what you did there. You did the potential voice. Like the like the ones at the start of Tropic Thunder. Yes, yeah. Um, which has the perfect parody of an artsy independent film mm. with uh, Satan's Alley with mm. Kirk Lazarus and Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. um, mm. playing priests. I think yeah. the, the, the Die Hard trailer has the voiceover guy, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty epic. I do miss that to a certain extent. Yeah. The best fake trailers, I mean, um, do you ever see Grindhouse? And it was chopped into two films over here. But when they released it in America, they released it as a double feature and they got people to do their own versions of like spoof Grindhouse trails, one of which I think became, I think Machete started yes, as, a, yeah. as, a, as a trailer for Grindhouse became a film. And Edgar Wright did one called, I think it was just called Don't, um, which was a spoof of all the hammer horror, British horror films of the 70s, shot perfectly um, and with every British comedian, people just popping up and being stabbed and just going like, ah, It'd be like Simon Pegg or somebody. <laughs> yeah, we talk about action trailers a lot, but comedy ones are mm. really hard to get right mm. because you've got to make it look like it's funny, but you can't put all the best jokes yeah. in it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and well, that's, I what, that's why to it works to sometimes re-edit it so the punchline doesn't match the yeah. thing it was said to. Yeah, I struggle to think of a comedy trailer in recent years that's made me want to see the film. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's probably true of comedy films generally, yeah. isn't it? And comedy trailers tend to be really spoiler heavy. Um, they tend to outline the whole plot. Don't yeah, they? You go from mm. here to here to here, and yeah. There's a film I saw 
I want to say Hot Rod or something like that. It was the guy from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Cool Beans. Uh, cool Beans. Adam, yes. Adam Sandberg. Yeah. Andy and the film's great, but it builds up to him doing a massive stunt at the end, and that's what the whole film's building up to. Can he do this stunt? Fucking stunts in the trailer. Yeah. Uh. Do you remember the Ant Man trailer? Um. So it was trying to set it up as the, another origin story, and um, it was like kind of. When you watched it, it's like, oh, this is another run-of-the-mill uh, kind of Marvel film. And, I, and by that point, we'd had plenty. But the actual film itself is a comedy. It's a comedy heist mm-hmm. movie. Um, mm-hmm. So that one didn't really set the right expectations. To me, it was like superhero overload by that point. There's one shot in the trailer for that that sold me was the Thomas the Tank Engine. Yes. That, yes. That's the one that made, I'm going to see that film. <laughs> but when I saw the film in the cinema... That moment was in there and it fell flat because they wouldn't yeah. see it in the trailers. Mm-hmm. Had that not been the trailers, it would have got a massive laugh. Mm-hmm. If I was a movie actor, it would be one of my big aims to be nominated for an award just so I could have Academy Award nominee mm-hmm. uh, at the st- start of my name, at the start of my name in a film trailer. <laughs> it doesn't get used everywhere. It's not like you book an Uber and they have to now refer to you as Academy, Academy Award, Award nominee. nominee. I would ask them to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like that when uh, the press awards season when the prestige films come out, yeah. not the prestige, but um, it's great having all of those award nominees just blasted at you. Like, look how prestigious this film is. Come and see it. Come and see it. Which is quite a good tactic because you mm. think, well, look at all those good actors. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Trailers. Love them. More Two <laughs> Towers. I love a trailer. <laughs> those are my closing thoughts <laughs> on this debate. <laughs> what? Oh, before we finish, what's your favourite Nicholas Cage trailer, John? Oh, ooh, uh, Monday. I don't know why you've not. I know why. I, I'm not sure. Let me use it the score. Do you see him in his pants in the trailer? You don't know. Okay, so that's a treat for those who sit yeah. through. He did hours. insist that that costume was destroyed at the end of the film. <laughs> in case, and I quote, a pervert, open quotation marks, John Farthing, close quotation marks, gets hold of it. I like the fact you pretended to look at your phone to get that quote correct. <laughs> and you know, you know the worst thing? In that Mandy trailer, it could have been announced as Academy Award, Award winner Nicolas Cage. Yes, it should have been. He's not that arrogant. He doesn't need to know. Okay. We know he's an Academy Award winner. Well, I bet he uses it when he books an Uber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us up to the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. A little review, a little subscribe. And John's going to do a special dance in his pants for you. No, stop, no. <laughs> um, we will be back in two weeks' time with lots more reviews and lots more quizzes, lots more good stuff. But until then, you have been listening to... A man who's going to go home and watch Star Wars trailers. Andy Chandler. <laughs> a man far away. A man wearing the most uncomfortable thing he's ever worn in his life. <laughs> and I'm Hazel Burton. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Bye. 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 Okay, before we continue, can I just get a quieter yes that doesn't overload quite as much? Yes! A bit louder. Yes! Uh, One more time. Three times in a row. A bit more enthusiastic. Yes! 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 (laughs) I'll have what he's having. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. That doesn't mean I go last and everyone interrupts mine again, but okay. (laughs) Phil, you, you, I will give you this uh, gift. Peter, Peter. (laughs) Peter? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, can we do... <laughs> <laughs>
not too convincing. <laughs> In a world of podcasts, one stands above all. Non-Academy Award nominee Daniel Watkins <laughs> stars in Nerdfest, the movie. Coming straight to YouTube some point next year. Straight to the bag of fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>